Thank you for listening to the Vine Church LV podcast. For more information, go to www.thevinechurchlv.com. appreciate you guys. I love you guys. I'm grateful for all of you. And we're going to dive into this message and we're going to have a good time. Today's been full of tears and today's been full of like somber music. And I love that. I think it's awesome, but that's not how I preach. I try to sometimes, but I don't have it in me to be that. And so if you guys can give me a shout and then come on up with me and then we're going to make this happen. Okay. Um, uh, I know it's not a big deal. It probably says more about me than other people. Uh, but I figured that, hey, since I'm going to preach on religion, I'm going to dress as down as possible. Uh, <laughs> so I threw on my hat and I threw on my T-shirt. And any of you who are like, why is everyone dressed down? Because we're talking about religion. And if it bothers you, it's like, hey, probably for you today. And it's going to be a good time. And God's really going to move. And we're going to have breakthrough because freedom needs to reign in the church of God. There aren't rules like we perceive rules, right? There's just two. Honor God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so as long as you're doing those two things, you don't need a button-up. Amen. But all the young people say, well, y'all probably need a button up. Uh, all the old people and all the other people are like, well, this is a heresy. But I grew up in a, right? And so, like, I'm with no one today. So it's fine. We're going we're gonna to all ring it in together. And we're going to talk about, did Jesus really say that? Now, what did God say about religion? And is religion a bad thing or is religion a good thing? Because what I hear in churches all the time is, oh, the And so I went for that Bible verse, and it was nowhere. It was nowhere. There is no spirit of religion in the Bible. And so I was like, did we just make stuff up? Did we actually just make stuff up and say that this is a religious spirit? And here's the thing. If we're adding to the Bible, that makes us religious spirited. And so it's like that that spirit is just alive when we're saying religious spirit. Something to think about. And, and, And I'm not saying the concept behind religious spirit right the concept behind oh we can't be so legalistic that's true Uh, but I wouldn't call it a spirit I would call it people who are legalistic (laughs) right Um, the Pharisees when 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 Jesus looked at them he didn't say the spirit of religions on you he said why are you guys listening to Satan And, and then people say well spirit of religions the worst religion because I put Jesus on the cross and Jesus said, none take my life. I give up my own. So see how we were, the Bible says this. And then we say, but the spirit of religion is, that's how bad that is. Dang, I, I don't know what's up. Every week, Anthony, I step right off that thing. Um, okay. Um, he's going to be my friend today because this topic, we're going we're gonna to get into the good times. I really want to talk. And you know, like I said with the, did Jesus really say that series? I intentionally picked things that I saw in our house. So this isn't a generalized message of here's what the church is doing wrong, capital C, and we all have to fix it. No, this is, look, here's what's in the Vine Church LV, and here is what is holding us back from walking into a new level with God. And so last week we talked about spirits and how everyone says, oh, I have this orphan spirit or I have a depressed spirit or I have a spirit, a spirit, a spirit. And that's not there in the Bible if you're a Christian. But in the Bible, many times it would say, hey, your souls and your flesh are warring. But that's not a spirit. 
right? That's just the fact that I don't want to do this thing, and so I'm calling it a spirit to take responsibility off of myself, right? And what I've really interacted with, two definitions I want us to talk about today. One is religion. Can you guys say religion? Say it one more time. Religion? And we're going to redefine that. Say legalism. Right? Because the Bible does say don't be legalistic. The Bible does say don't have self-imposed religion. Right? Don't have religion extra things you put on yourselves. Right? The Pharisees added like over 600 laws to the Bible. See, that was what they were talking about. They say, hey, self-imposed religion. Right? And when Jesus tries to heal someone on the Sabbath, and they say, hey, why are you trying to heal someone on the Sabbath? That's against the law. And Jesus is like, when did I say that? Because he's God. It's a surprise for later. Uh, when did I say that? When did I imply that you couldn't help someone on the Sabbath? And so it wasn't that Jesus was breaking the law of God. He was breaking the law that man had put upon themselves because they were uncomfortable with how freeing God actually can be, right? And so self-imposed religion and the other one that they say a lot, and, you know, I, I would appreciate it if we don't, like, call this on each other, but there is a spirit in the Bible, and it's called the spirit of the Antichrist, right? And that is the one that brings in extra rules and extra regula regulations. But also in, in John, when it talks about the spirit of the Antichrist, we also see what he actually brings in is a little bit more freedom to do things that God wouldn't prefer. And so when I studied this topic, the most I found was there was a spirit that affects people, not Christians, people who walk into church say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they're not, into kind of causing division and a lack of unity in the church by causing, wait, wait, did Jesus, did God really say you can't drink? Well, no, he didn't say you can't drink. He said you can't get drunk, but we're fighting wars over that. Right? In the church, there's schasms. The Bible doesn't even say pastors can't drink. I went and studied it in the Bible. You know what it says? It says don't let them be given to much wine. Much. Don't get drunk, pastors. And how do you know? Well, because Paul says, hey, Timothy, you're an elder. You're a pastor. Only drink a little wine. And we just ignore it. We just cross that verse out. Oh, that verse is about healing. Healing through alcohol. That's weird. You know, like, but that's what people do, right? And that's what religion, we start to make the rules of how can I follow God correctly. And so religion or legalism, right? Legalism. Say legalism. Say it again. Say legalism. Say it backwards. I'm, I don't know how that, right? Um <laughs> Legalism is something that God didn't ask us to do. Listen, if someone says, hey, you Christian, you can't do this. And you say, oh, really? Can you show me that in the Bible? And they like, well, if you look at this verse and then like angle yourself this way and you go to this verse and, and you look at these verses in the lens of what Jesus said over here. Now, we don't got to go to the Hebrew on that. And then we go over here. See, then you see you can't do this. It's like, okay, that's legalism. Right? But if they show you a verse... That's just relationship. That's just, oh, God, the person I claim I love with all my heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, doesn't like this? Then why would I do it? Right? Guys, can I tell you a secret about my patchy beard that I hate? Can I tell you a secret about it? Why I don't shave it? She likes it. I don't know why. I look in the mirror and I hate it. 
it's on record. It feels uncomfortable on my face. I think about the fact that it just can't grow in right, and I get upset, like upset, and I'm just like, this is the worst, right? And then she goes, I'm, I'm going to shave it, and she goes, no, but I like it, and I'm like, she's hot, and I'm going to listen to the wisdom that makes her find me more attractive, Right? So God says, hey, I don't prefer this. This isn't something I can't do it because I can't shave my beard because I'll hate everything. We're seeing it wrong. Right? It's, man, okay, I like her. She's looking good. The beard stays. Right? I like God. He's freed me. He gives me life and life more abundant. All these blessings I have are because of my life with him. You know what? Maybe drinking isn't worth it. Maybe I'll go before God, or getting drunk isn't worth it. Drink all you want. Just don't get drunk, right? Uh, getting drunk isn't worth it. So maybe I'll pray instead and maybe I'll find something deeper and more satisfying in my God, right? But then here's the other definition we have to talk about. Spirituality. I'll say Spirituality. That's the opposite of legalism, right? That is, God is letting me do whatever I want. Me and God, we have a deal, right? God told me that I'm going to have a wife in one year, two years ago. So I just assumed he meant do the word again, right? <laughs> well, we're not, we don't have these special deals with God, right? God is unchanging, and he's consistent within his own character. So then what we got to do is, God, what pleases you? So spirituality, it's, it's the attempt to reach to the supernatural without having to surrender to it. Right? It's the attempt to walk in the anointing without living the life that freely gives it. Because, guys, gifts are without repentance. I don't have to repent to walk in my anointing or my calling. I don't have to be right with God to really be powerful. And there are many ministers in history that that proof is, is actively for anyone to see, right? But there's, there's something for people who find the middle ground between legalism and between spirituality, right? And that's what Jesus is. Jesus says, I have come and I have fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish it, right? So he didn't get rid of the rules he fulfilled them and gave us a way to better live them, right? But he didn't make it so stingent and so, so binding on us that we can't be free. It's the middle ground of relationship. And you have to understand that I feel like we go as people, we go through waves, and I do it all the time, waves where I'm like, I'm going to get right with God, so I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do this, and life sucks, and I hate life now. Okay, and then I go this way, and I go, you know what, no, God wants me to be more free, and then I'm out, and I fall into a sin or a temptation that begins to own my life, and I'm like, how did I get here? It's in the middle. Do you remember in the Bible when Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field, and they start grabbing, they start grabbing food, and they start eating, and the Pharisees say to Jesus, why aren't your disciples washing their hands. That's what we would call religion. The Probably the better word is legalism. But habits are habits, <laughs> right? We're going to define religion correctly, um, but legalism. And they're being legalistic, and Jesus looks at them and goes, uh, have you not read the Bible? Or have you not read Scripture because they didn't have a Bible yet? 
Have you not read when David and his men were walking through the field? And they needed food. Have you not read when they went to the priests and they grabbed some of the showbread and they grabbed the sword of Goliath? Have you not read how they went into a place where the law said they couldn't go, but they had an understanding of what the law had really meant? David was seeing things through a correct lens, the lens of a Messiah, and he recognized my people are pure. They're keeping themselves from women and they're living righteous under me. We have access to the showbread. And Jesus brings him back and he goes, why was that okay, but this isn't? Are you saying because their hands aren't clean that they themselves are dirty? And let's talk about something more important. How come your outside is so clean, but inside you're dead? Listen, if you've ever walked into church, falling apart, depressed, unhappy, and someone says, hey, how are you doing today? And you say, blessed and highly favored. You walked into legalism unintentionally. Because that's what I'm supposed to say. Because with God, everything is sunshine and rainbows. And things will never be bad. So if something's going bad with me, maybe I'm out. So I have to play a part. But where's that in the Bible? There's no part to play. There's just freedom found in Christ. But then we go over to the spiritual people who they, they just want. Oh, man, me and God have our own relationship. We have our own thing. Well, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in all these other gods. And, you know, I'm really more spiritual, and I don't think God wants me to have to worry about all these things. He doesn't want me to be involved in a church, involved in a community. What he really wants is just, just for me to be at peace and just love the people around me. But that, see, that's wrong, too. He called us to community. And both sides of the spectrum are very alive in the church. I've used the example many times that if you go and you look at a legalistic church, it's like, it's like a riverbed with no water. Right? And a riverbed with no water, it can't hold life. But if you go to the overly spiritual churches that believe you can do whatever you want, it's like there's a flood because there was no riverbank. And people are dying. And there's, there's the truth that the spirit needs to flow and flow free. But God has still called us to live certain lifestyles to best glorify him. And it builds a bank of a river. And when we're righteous before God and we're living right with him, there's the bank. There's the river. And there's life. And people can build towns along it. And people can come and drink of what I'm pouring out. Because it's not some chaotic force. It's a place and it's a person. And I want to introduce you to my Jesus. But if every day I'm acting different because my spiritual God has allowed me to do this. And you know what? I don't like this. And here's my chakras. And here's my crystals and here are my stones and that's not found in anything it's nothing there's nothing to hold on to well then we can't point people to that either it's just humanism but we put the spirit at the end because we can't deny the supernatural Balaam if you heard the story of Balaam he was a prophet of God and a man came to him and said hey I will give you all this money if you don't bless Israel and the prophet says, well, I have to ask God. And he goes to God and he says, hey, can we not bless Israel so I can get some cash? Right? I know what you want, but can we ignore what you want so I can receive something? This isn't legalism, guys. This is spirituality. And God says, no. He's like, okay, I hear you. I hear you. I'm going to hang out with them in case the God who never changes his mind changes his mind. So I'm going to keep on walking with these guys. Hey, 
God, can we, can we ignore them? Can we ignore Israel and get me some cash now? And God's like, no, leave me alone, <laughs> right? Like, stop. Quit walking with these people. Go back. But he was willing to sacrifice his relationship with God in exchange for something. And by the way, that's not, that's not legalism. That's the opposite problem, right? Simon the magician in the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit begins to fall on people, he walks up and he gets wowed and he goes, wow, God must be real. And he sees Peter praying and he says, hey, Peter, can you give me, I'll give you money. Can you give me that too? And Peter looks at him and says, no, your heart's wrong. Because Simon the magician wanted all the benefits of the Holy Spirit without the lifestyle the Holy Spirit has called us to live. And we see the disciples living the guy who wants to live perfectly free and with the whole crazy Holy Spirit landing on everyone, he wants what they have. And the religious people are hating them, but God's moving on them and they can't make sense of it. And so we see as Peter in that moment is the epitome of what both groups want, but the lifestyle neither refuse to have. And for the record, what's the real issue here with both of them? How is your soul? The religious people can't change in their heart. Legalistic people. I'm going to keep saying religious because it's been years. Legalistic people can't change in their heart, but they'll act and act. So maybe they'll glorify God. Right? And the spiritual people, they want all the crazy stuff, but they won't change their heart to live a life that will make it regular. At the end of the day, both groups and every group, by the way, and really any issue you could possibly have, it's always going to boil down to how are you? How are you? How is your soul? How's the inside you? If you remember last week, we talked about that. And what I specifically said was the kind of the running theme of this series is going to be how's your soul? Because bad doctrine is typically not found in anything besides someone who's truthfully ignoring what God's speaking. And when we get wrapped up in what we want to see about God, we begin to see that in the Bible. And so if we don't take regular soul checks, then we're going to start to see the Bible the way we want to see it. And, and I read a poem and we're going to hit this poem real quick, and then we're going to actually get into what we're doing because I rambled for too long. Classic. Classic. Um, it's called The Creed. And I believe this is spirituality in a nutshell. The I want to live a certain way, but, but by the way, truth is relative. Um, I want God to bless my life. But by the way, I don't think I should have to live a certain lifestyle. Um, this is the creed I have written on behalf of all of us. We believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. We believe everything is okay as long as you don't hurt anyone to the best of your definition of hurt and to the best of your knowledge. We believe in sex before, during, and after marriage. We believe in the therapy of sin. We believe that adultery is fun. We believe that sodomy is okay, but we believe that taboo should still be taboo. We believe that everything is getting better despite evidence to the contrary. The evidence must be investigated, and you can prove anything with evidence. We believe there's something in horoscopes, UFOs, and bent spoons. Jesus was a good man, just like Buddha, Muhammad, and ourselves. He was a good moral teacher, although we think some of his morals were bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same, at least the ones we read were, and they believe that they believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We believe that after death comes the nothing, because when you ask the dead what happens, they say nothing. And if 
And if, the de- if death is not the end, if the dead have lied to us, then it is compulsory heaven for all, except for maybe Hitler, Stalin, and Genghis Khan. We believe in Masters and Johnson. We believe what is selected is average. We believe what is average is normal and what is normal is good. We believe in total disarmament. We think that there are direct links between warfare and bloodshed. America should beat their guns and attractors, and the Russians would sure- surely follow. We believe that man is essentially good. It's only his behavior that lets him down. This is the fault of society. Society is the fault of conditions, and conditions are the fault of society. We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe that there is no absolute truth except the truth that there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds and the flowering of individual thought. And if chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills 10, troops on rampage, whites go looting, bomb blasts in schools, it is just the sound of man worshiping his maker. There is a standard that God has given us. And that's what's going to cause things to go away from being crazy and chaotic and nonsensical. And Christians, when they shy away from the things of the world, we overly add these rules that God didn't add to anyone. And we make the answer ugly. When the answer of the gospel is beautiful. Because like I said, what is true religion? Well, it's found in the person of Jesus. The fulfilling of the law, the keeping of the law, yet the happy, the at peace, the content. Someone that people would follow from anywhere around. They wanted to live like him, be like him. And he didn't have to sacrifice what he wanted for what he had to do because he found peace in his relationship with the Father. And then he died and gave us peace through the Father, through relationship with him. And that is why the Bible would say you are the bride of Christ. If we go to James chapter 1, about time someone brought the Bible up. James chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. And if anyone amongst you thinks he is religious, and the Western church would shout, not us, and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. That means people who don't control their tongue and are deceptive aren't religious. Wait a second. But that goes against what I believe. Right? Verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted. Orphans and widows to help those in need. Those who can't help themselves. Those who are broken. That's religion. Wait, does that mean we shouldn't do that? Because we don't want to be religious? And we have to define things the way God defines them. And not the way man does when they just decided there was a religious spirit that's nowhere in the Bible. From the world. (laughs) Amen. And it's something to think about. And here's why. When Jesus says undefiled and spotless before the world, or when James says it, um, what is he referencing? The unblemished lamb. Undefiled before the world. What does that mean to live like like Jesus? And Christian means Christ-like. And by the way, people who are against this whole, there's a religious spirit. You know what I hear from them a lot also? And Jesus wouldn't have called himself a Christian. And we don't realize if Christian means Christ-like, of course he wouldn't have called himself Christ-like. He is the Christ. He called himself the Christ. 
And we call ourselves, I want to be like him, so I'm Christ-like. And when the disciples got called, oh, these Christians, look at them. They wore it as a badge of honor and said, yeah, we are Christians. Because what the enemy meant to kill them, to, to disarm them, to make them look foolish, they embraced it. Follower of the way, that was cool. Christians actually a little better. Let's embrace that and run. But now people hate that. And they're like, no, we can't be called Christians. We can't be called Christ-like. But what this turns into is because, well, Christian is now perceived as religious, overbearing, unloving, rules-oriented. When people think Christian, they think I got to wear a black suit and a tie. And I failed them today. <laughs> they think you can't mess up. You can't struggle. You can't be real. You have to wear a mask. And that, by the way, is why I believe spirituality got so big because people want Jesus but they don't want the extra rules that aren't even from God in the first place and I think the church has to think about something when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees he says you're making them twice the sons of hell of you and if we begin to act religious and put rules on people that God didn't put in his word then what are we doing what are we breeding in our churches, and in our schools, and with our young people, right? And so I want to compare two people and shift from teaching into preaching so we can wake up a little bit. And we're going to go first to Luke chapter 18, and then we're going to go to Luke chapter 19, compare two people that I actually love to compare. I do it all the time because Jesus compared them. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 23. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We know the story. Many of us do. Maybe you don't. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Real quick. None is good but God. What is Jesus saying about this man? You don't believe I'm God. Why are you here? The guy wasn't picking up on hints though. Um, no one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He's giving him the rules because you're not acknowledging me as God. So then I'll, I'll give you the law. Right? And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. I have always honored my father and mother. I don't believe him. I tried. It's, I'm a human and we can't do it. Uh, so when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, he's testing him now. Right? Because what's the point of the law? The law is, with Jesus coming, he's coming to take the hardness of our hearts and put in a fleshly heart. Right? And he's saying, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Amen? He was so stuck in the law. He was so stuck in working and living and acting a certain way that he couldn't see the Messiah right in front of him. And when God really tested his heart and he says, you're doing all these things, but why? Is your heart in the right place? Sell your things. Love people more than you love yourself. And he left. Jesus said, follow me. Twelve people in the Bible 
He said that too. And now a 13th. Why him? I don't know. Like I've, I've told you guys before, many people actually think that, that Jesus was, intentions for him was for him to replace Judas when Judas fell. That's just a theory. But all it traced back to is he was so stuck on the rules that his heart never changed. Because God says in the Old Testament, you look on the outside man, but I look at the heart of a man. That's not new law. That's not with Jesus stepping in the room. That's been that way. And people are missing it. Which was Jesus' point all along. That's why I feel like on purpose he'd walk in on the Sabbath and just look for someone to heal. Specifically, he'd be like, it's Saturday, you need to heal your arm, I'm coming back tomorrow. Right? And it just, just to prove a point, where is your heart at with God? How can you see a miracle and think, yeah, but he didn't follow my rules exactly. Let's go to a different character. Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus. He's short. For all you short people, give a shout. There you go. I'm nation's average. Uh, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Yeah. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. I don't know that old kid's song, but there's like a song about like, Zacchaeus, come down from your tree. I don't know it. I appreciate you, whoever you are. Mar, I should have known it was you, or Aaron, um, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he was Jew, but Jewish, by the way, meaning he was screwing over all his people. Good times. And he sought to see who Jesus was. He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Now Jesus is surrounded by crowds, right? All these people who just want to be seen as right. And one man who would make a fool of himself just to see Jesus. So Jesus looked up to him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Pause there real quick. Um, many people would actually look right about here, and Jesus is later going to say to Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this home. Most people would argue that his salvation happened here. Joyfully. That's a very common New Testament theme when someone finds Jesus. When people get saved, they joyfully get saved. Right? And so what's happening is just the voice of God, and as he ran towards God, he began to change before he even made it to the moment where God was going to call everything from him. Guys, I do want to encourage you on something. I am going to tell you today that God wants things to change in our lives. He wants us to grow, and he wants us to be better. He wants us to love him more and love the people around us more. But as you come to him, he's going to walk this out with you. It doesn't have to be instant. It needs to be as you're coming, as you're getting closer, as you're getting to know him more. Get joyful and let things begin to change. Don't flip it all and get overwhelmed and begin to hate your life. Begin to talk and take steps because the people in this room are going to stand with you, and God is going to wait with you and he's going to walk with you because he loves you amen and he received him joyfully but when they saw it who's they 
ain't loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and who aren't loving their neighbor as themselves, they complained, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who was a sinner. And here's the secret to salvation. And here's the secret to knowing where you're at with God. What is he seeing right now? I'm changed. And everyone's mad at Jesus because of the way I've lived my life. And because I love Jesus, I'm going to make a move so they can see him better. So Zacchaeus stood and said, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore it fourfold. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, give up everything. And Zacchaeus was changed by Jesus and saw how the people saw Jesus because of him. And his natural response was, I'm going to give. This is a genuine conversion, something that happened on the inside because outside he was still dirty, he was still short, holla, and he still had all the money from all the people he had screwed over. He was still on the outside, not right with God, but on the inside something had shaken him. And then he gave. And so when Jesus is talking to the rich, strong ruler, what is he telling him? You've done all these outside things, but the inside isn't right yet. You're doing it wrong. Quit trying to act and act. Come be in relationship with me. These things will change naturally by a product of who I surround myself with. And first and foremost, I surround myself with Jesus. How? I read my word. I pray every morning. I get involved with the bride of Christ that he gave his life for. And freedom just happens in that place. How many of you have walked into a room broken? How many of you have walked into this room broken, unready to worship, and the worship of the other people around you, and you're like, you know what? God is good. There was breakthrough in this place. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save which was lost. Dear Lord in heaven, we pray for these last 11 minutes and 8 seconds. God, we thank you because you're going to bless them. You're going to make them awesome, and they're going to be fire, Lord. Uh, we bless you. We praise you. And God, I pray that we wouldn't focus on being religious and rules-oriented. And God, we wouldn't focus on what we're allowed to do, God. But we'd focus on you and just find our freedom and our love towards you, God. In Jesus' name I say, Amen. When I was a kid, teacher always tells me, dude, your intros are too long. And that was a 35-minute intro. So I think he might be on to something. Um, do, I mean, I would start doing intros and, like, handing the mic to someone who can close. Like, that might be the secret to this whole experience. Um, <laughs> um, when I was a kid, I loved to draw. I loved art. I got really big into, like, anime and, like, manga. And, and, I, and I would draw it all the time. And I got decently good. Like, I wasn't pro or anything. Um, definitely amateur. And um, my mother and my father had split. Right? My birth mother um, divorced. And I would go back and forth between their houses because they lived semi-close at the time. Um, and and my, my mother 
she really loves like rose, flowery, really pretty looks. And so like our whole house was like pink and like white and like red. And she got like this brand new white comforter. <laughs> oh my gosh. So she got this brand new white comforter, spent a ton of money on it. It had like white roses on it. And she loved this comforter. And she fell asleep one day on the couch. And I looked at the comforter and I saw how much my mother loved this comforter. And I was like, I'm going to paint the most beautiful picture on this thing for her. And she's going to love it even more. <laughs> so I went into her lipstick bag, which, by the way, for the record, guys, you don't go into a woman's bag. So mistake one. Um, I saw a post on Facebook where someone's like, how come men, when you ask them to get something out of your bag, they bring you the whole bag? And this person commented, like, because their mom taught them not to go into your bag. I'm like, that's a fact. I would have got slapped upside the head. And I did. You'll wait till the end of the story. And so I went and got red lipstick. And I drew the most beautiful stick figure the Lord had ever seen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I went along it. Like, no, honestly, if you would have saw it, you would have been impressed, right? Uh, and you would have been impressed. Like, it, but it's, you know, it's all God. You know, he anointed me with that skill. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so he, he anointed me. And so I took that anointing and I did something for my mother because I love her so much. And I was pumped. I was so excited for her to wake up so I could show her, right? Because at this point, I'm good. When I paint something, where does it go? On the fridge. There's no room on the fridge for this, but we'll figure it out. Right? And so I'm excited, and she wakes up, and I'm, like, waiting. Right? And she gets in the room, and she's, like, half awake. And she looks down. And I come out, like, surprise, Mom! And she looks down and looks at me in shock. Doesn't even understand what's happening. Right? And my dad is coming to pick me up. And I hear a knock at the door. My dad's going to pick me up. And she wakes up, and she looks at me. I'm recognizing she doesn't like the picture. I should have used some different shades. I only used red. Um, this is the problem. <laughs> I, see, I did, I did a rust job, and I should have spent time on it. And so I see the look on her face, and she gets mad. And then I realize I'm going to die, but my dad's at the door. Boom, and I make a bust for the door, right? So she comes at me, and when I open the door, my dad's there, and I get behind him and hide behind him. And my mom rational as always, right, just woke up, just had a beautiful picture painted, for some reason she doesn't like it, just starts yelling at my dad, because now it's his fault, and I'm okay with the arrangement, got to paint a beautiful picture, and I didn't get in trouble, I'll go wait in the car, catch you, right, and, and, and then she just goes off, and we're, and he, you know, he yells at her, takes my side, which I don't even understand how he did it, but he did it, and that's all that matters, it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't have fallen asleep with makeup, and then, you know, and it's like, this is on you, like, why aren't you supervising the kid, and there's like, boom, 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 and we're in the car driving later, and I'm just on cloud nine, because I, it was one of my best pieces, um, <laughs> and we're driving, and my dad looks at me, and finally says, hey, you can't do that, and I said, why? Because I still don't understand. <laughs> I still don't really understand what's happened. I was really young at the time, right? And he looks at me, and I feel like he was shocked because I said, why? Because, like, what do you mean, why can't you take something, hundreds of dollars someone paid for, take lipstick out of your mom's purse, color on it, and then watch as I get yelled at and let me take all the blame for it? Like, why, why can't you do that? Yeah, why? And he's in shock, and so he says these words that every kid and every not, like, if you're in this room, you've heard it before. What's the thing parents say when they don't know what else to say? Because I said so. And he looked, because I, that doesn't work on me, right? I, I always looked at that and like, I've always been a pretty analytical kid since I was little. And I was like, what? But, 
<laughs> but here's what happens. My dad, in that moment, here's, that's what religious people sound like. Right? Wait, why can't I stay out past 10? Because Jesus wouldn't like that. I'm not, I'm not picking up what you're throwing down at all. Why, why do I have to wear a button-up shirt to church? I mean, I'm pretty sure Jesus wore like a, like a shirt. The Bible says David wore an ephod and he was swinging. Like, just be glad I'm not doing that, right? Um, and it's like, well, because I said so, right? And there's no rules. There's no regulations. The only thing in the Bible that talks about clothing is it's an internal thing. One, are you wearing clothing to attract certain people? Well, then that's a sin to you. And then are you wearing clothing um, for status, those are actually in the Bible, right? Are you causing other people to struggle through the way that you're wearing your clothing? Okay, fine. Then those, there's actually some conversations to have. But, but a Mickey Mouse beanie? Well, that's anointed by God, right? <laughs> but on the flip side, overly spiritual people who just want to be free, well, you sound like the kid in the chair. Why? Why can't I color on my mother's? comforter and why can't I use her red lipstick and permanently stain something she paid for and she loved why can't I do that well because if you loved her you wouldn't and so when we get overly religious we're, we're a shocked parent because I said so which by the way I know it's wrong I'm so excited right I'm just so excited to look at my child and be like because I go to your room. That's right. I win the argument. Debate's over, right? And it's like, you didn't win. I bring up good points, right? And you bring up a good point to your parent. And you're like, but why this? And they're like, you know, the Bible says don't disrespect your parents. It's like, it also says don't make them bitter towards the earth. Are you back-mouthing me? Oh, I'm going to go to my room now because apparently I lost this somehow, right? But both sides of the equation are actually wrong. One isn't loving of people. They're just loving of self. And one isn't loving of God. They're just loving of how people see them. And they're loving of authority. And they're loving of, I'm the man. Trust me, I'm, I'm here. It's not that awesome. It's really not. That's why I'm letting other people preach. <laughs> the Bible says that Jesus is our Lord. And he's our Savior. And I find religious people have a hard time with Savior. How? Well, because they think it's their works that make God love them. And so that's that not making him your Savior. You made you your savior by acting a certain way to make God happy. That's all you. But listen, you need to get a little more free on that topic. Be like the people over here who just know, well, God just loves me. And they're right. Now, religious people got Lord all day. Sorry. Um, legalistic people. They got Lord all day, right? He's my Lord. I know the rules. I'm going to follow them. But people over here go, yeah, I get he's my savior and he loves me, but my Lord? That's not even biblical. I heard someone say that one time. Uh, I get he's my savior, but he's not my Lord. That's not in the Bible. I actually heard that. I showed you the recording. It was a recording and someone said it. And I was like, but it's the same verse. Like, you can't quote the, without separating. But what happens is like, we don't want him to be our Lord. I don't want to bow a knee to a king. I want to be in charge. It's me. Right? And both groups, they just have a problem and it's just inside of us. And it's a question worth asking. Are there things God has called you to do? Or maybe are you too critical of people that you shouldn't be critical of? You know, in the Bible, not in the Bible, 
T.D. Jakes once said, that's like the, not the Bible at all. Um, T.D. Jakes once said something, it really kind of stood out to me. He said, um, we tend to give ourselves the grace we won't give people. You know how long it took me to walk in a place where I was actually pure before God? Like five or six years of actually really pushing before the Lord. Some of y'all, after like two years, I'm like, dude, you got you to go. God doesn't love you anymore. Like, you know, I don't say it, but like I just get frustrated. And I won't walk with someone in the way that God walked with me or that people walked with me or that time and growth and the way that God began to move on me. This thing does take time because we're growing in the Lord. And we don't give people that time. But ask yourself, how old were you when you finally got right with God? Because that's how many years it took. 25. Right? Where's our heart on this? I've said it time and time again throughout this series, throughout this message, throughout this everything. I, I, we can get to the place where these messages are fiery and they're exciting and it's like, oh my gosh, we're going to touch the nations, but... I'm not interested in doing that until our foundation here is strong. I loved how worship went today. I loved that. We didn't have the drum. We didn't have the lights. We didn't have anything fancy. It was either you guys are going to worship or this is going to suck. Like, those are the two options for worship today. And it was amazing. And I I really do believe it's because the heart towards worship in this house is getting so beautiful. But now it's time to have that same heart towards each other and towards ourselves. Know that God's actually not mad at you. God actually loves you. Quit being religious on yourself. But know that, guys, he did call you into a community. He did call you to a standard. Ephesians 4 says, live a life worthy of your calling. What are you called to be? Start to be that. Well, someone said, I'll be a pastor. That's probably not for 20 years. Then, then live like a pastor for 20 years. Because he's worth it. Because he deserves it. I've heard a story of a man. He used to, before we were ever alive, he would sit by trains, and if the train station was blocked, it was his job to light a lantern and to wave it so that when trains came by, they would know this waving means to stop. And there was a, there was a point where he got pulled into a court system because there was a train collision and a lot of people died. And when he was in the court, you know, back then they didn't have video cameras, they didn't have a way to prove whether he did or didn't, and they asked him, did you wave your lantern? And he said, yes. And the judge looked at him, and there was something in the way he said it, nervousness, uncomfortableness. And he said, did you wave your lantern? And the man says, yes. One more time, be honest. Did you wave your lantern? And the man says, yeah, I I did. And he leaves and, and a man catches up to him and says, hey, you know, did you wave your lantern? And he said, yeah, I I did. He goes, and how come every time the judge asked you, you sounded less confident? He said, I didn't have time to light the light. I was distracted when the train was coming. I didn't have time to light the light. And so I waved a lantern with no light. And there was a collision. And what this man would write about him later is that he kept the letter of the law, but he lost his soul in the process. 
And he was so focused. Yes, I kept the law. Yes, I waved my lantern. Yes, I did everything I was called to do. But there was no light in it. There was no life in it. There was no breakthrough in it. And I do think that's what happened in churches. All the time we come and we shout and we scream and we kick. And God moves and services fire. And then we go home. And we don't live like that. And we talk to each other, and, and they're not living like that. And it's just, it's a thing we put on on a Sunday. But Sunday isn't for a show. Sunday's the place to be the most real. It's the place where you can be the most broken. There's no one to evangelize to. There's no one to speak life to. You've come here in this moment to be spoken to. But not so you can survive another week, but so you can speak to others for six days. Let this church never be a place where we feed those who, who, the goats who don't know God. Let this be a place where we feed the sheep who are going to look to people who don't know God and speak life to them. Sunday service isn't for Pastor West to blow your unsaved friend's mind and bring him to Jesus. Sunday service is the place for you to get filled so you can show them Jesus and you can bring your newly saved friend into a place where he'll be, he'll be able to call home. How's your soul? <laughs> I'm going to wrap this up. I don't know how to end. But just throughout these weeks, throughout this time, until we see each other next, keep, keep it in mind. You don't have to fake it until you make it. You can be honest. And you can be open. But keep in mind that you can't just go do whatever you want from the lens of self-fulfillment. If you really believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, what will change your life is to fall deeply in love with him. Because like I said... The way I dress, the length of my hair, my beard, it's just what she prefers. And it's not hard for me to do those things for her. It's little, but I know it brings her happiness. And there are little things God is calling us to do. Because honestly, the Christian walk doesn't really have any big things. And everything we, we give up for God, there's always something better on the horizon. I tell people all the time, I, I was on drugs. I was, my, the thing that defined my life until I was 18 was probably one word, and that word's addiction. And I never actually overcame being addicted to things. You know? I just found a superior addiction. I found that the addictions that I had, they didn't fulfill me. Jesus fulfilled me. And, and the, the, the women that I would interact with, they didn't fulfill me or make me feel loved or welcome. Like Jesus made me feel loved and welcome. And he's worth it. And he's worthy. And he's beautiful. And he's glorious. And he's majestic. And he's bigger than anything we can ask or think or imagine. He's worth it all. He gave it all. He made a way. And our job is just to walk in it. 
into his arms. My number one favorite Bible character in all of Scripture is Esther. She just is. She's always my favorite character. And it's because when she wanted to impress her king, and she was a working girl who had been out in the field and her skin was cracked and, and they wouldn't have described her as beautiful just yet. Instead of working for his affection, the Bible says that she hopped in a tub of oils that softened her. And she spent her time not trying to get his attention, but trying to make herself look beautiful to him. And that when she finally found favor with him and she sat with him just by being beautiful to him, just by being what it was that he was attracted to. And a man began to rise up and wanted to kill her family. She didn't have to raise up a sword to defend her family. She sat back on her king and whispered in his ear and he moved for her. And I think that is the, one of the most beautiful pictures of the New Testament church. It is not your job to go out into the city and cast demons out of every corner. It's your job to follow God, fall in love with him, because trust me, those things will naturally happen because he finds them beautiful. But I'm not doing them so he'd find me beautiful. Because he finds me beautiful, I'm going to go out and do them. And because God loves me, I want to look more like what he loves. And because he's died for me, I want to live for him. And when we look at the cross and the Bible says, husbands, love your wives and wives, respect your husbands. And the Bible says, husbands, your wife's body is yours. And wives, your husband's body is yours. That can make us uncomfortable until we look at the cross. And we recognize that his body was broken in place of ours. And so because we were the bride, our body was his. And it got broken. And then we look at ourselves that he made beautiful. And he says, because I'm your husband, my beautiful body is going to be yours. And then we get to walk free. And we get to walk clean of all the sin that we don't deserve to be clean from. And religion is just the attempt to fake it. But don't fake it. You have it. It's free. Take it. Dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room, Father God. I thank you that you speak. I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you love us. And God, I pray for those of us in this room that, that maybe our hearts are full of self-focus, and the desire to live however we want to live. And I pray you begin to soften us to a way that's more beautiful and a way that's better and a way that we would actually find more peace and more joy and more hope in. But I also pray for those of us in this room that are faking it, faking that lifestyle. For whatever reason, God, that we feel like we have to put on a show or an act or just pretend to be something that we have no heart for, God, I pray you would touch those hearts as well and show them why. You've called us to do these things and who you've called us to be. God, I thank you that my identity is not found in my actions, my works, my look, my race. Father God, my identity is found in you and my identity. Our identity is beloved, is called, is chosen, is spotless, is a bride before a king, God. In Jesus' name I say, amen.